Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me on the podcast journey is my wife and partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford. Today, I get to share a conversation I had with the authors of a wonderful book called Being Well with Chronic Illness, A Guide to Joy and Resilience with Your Diagnosis. I talked with Cat Hill and Nancy Pete, two people with Parkinson's who met after diagnosis and became good friends. And in their book, they offer what they've learned from their experiences with Parkinson's and also use the perspective of their community. What came out is chock full of wisdom, guidance, and compassion. There really is something for everyone in this book. I didn't count them, but there are dozens of tools discussed which can help all of us with chronic disease, like Parkinson's, to live our best life. So before we hear from the authors, let's introduce them a little bit. Kat Hill is a retired nurse midwife who was diagnosed with young-onset Parkinson's in 2015. Now she writes, speaks, and is a committed Parkinson's advocate. She hosts her own podcast called PD Lemonade. She and her husband, Ken, raised three children in Portland, Oregon. Nancy Pete is a retired librarian and was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2014. She stays active in her Parkinson's community and does some boxing classes, a dance troupe, and a drumming circle. She and her husband, Rob, have a son in college, and they also live in Portland. The two of them met when they were the only people to show up to a support group meeting that had been canceled. Oh, yes. The universe brought them together. Exactly. There are no coincidences. We'll get to the story of how the book came to be in a few minutes. But first, to kick things off, let's hear a little more about their Parkinson's diagnoses and journeys so far. The first to speak is Nancy. I was working as a children's librarian. And one day, I I think this is true of a lot of people, they start out thinking they're living a normal life without a chronic illness. And then suddenly one day they're not. But I was looking, I was in a story time and I could see my reflection in the back of the room and one hand was moving and one hand wasn't. You know, I lost like fine motor skills in this hand and it wasn't moving. And I didn't know what that meant, but I suddenly... Like the day had changed. When as a research librarian too, Nancy, you immediately researched right, it, right? Right, I kept, <laughs> I kept trying to find my hand doesn't work. <laughs> you don't get Parkinson's when you research hand doesn't work. Yeah. Those are librarian tips. Yeah. <laughs> now you know. Now you know. Right. How, how old were you, Nancy, when you were diagnosed? I was 56. So not that far off of the range they usually say 60 65 is for men I don't know if they even really know for women they must but so I was sort of on the cusp of regular but I consider myself young onset okay yeah you know and we actually talk about that a little in the book if I'm going to digress a second that about that definition Mm -hmm. and and that you know, Nancy's stage of life was very similar to mine, even though I was in my 40s when I was diagnosed. We both had teenagers at home, and both were kind of at the peak of our working career. And so, you know, that defines a lot of that young onset impact in terms of disease, I think it's so right, rather than an actual age. Exactly. Exactly. Where we were in our lives. Yeah. And so I I guess my uh, Parkinson's story is that I was like a good healthcare provider, completely in denial that anything was wrong for a very long time. 
time. <laughs> um, I'd had a lot of anxiety and um, uh, kind of internal tremor for a while. However, I was working a very high stress job, delivering babies um, on call a lot at the hospital. My mom was dying of cancer and I had you know, teenagers at home and I was perimenopausal. So I had lots of things to blame it on. So it really wasn't until my right hand started to shake and didn't stop that like it got right, my, right in my face, right in, right face. in my face. Yeah. Like, okay, cat, you cannot Can't ignore any, it anymore. Yeah. You cannot <laughs> ignore it anymore. So, yeah. um, and like Nancy said, we met looking for support groups that met our needs. And, uh, and so it was really one of those what is it called? Like divine intervention almost that brought us together. And we laugh about it because neither of us called ahead. Right? <laughs> we could have called and said, hey, it's a support meet- group meeting, but we didn't. So it was really kind of a dark room we went into and there was just the two of us. It was just the two of us that showed up. And so we could have left and said, oh, there's no support group meeting, but we hung out and stayed and shared our stories and exchanged numbers and shortly thereafter started our own support group. We might have cried just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we laughed and we cried. We laughed and we cried. Yeah. 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 It was just so new. I think both of us were just overwhelmed. And that when we wrote the book, we were thinking how we were remembering how that felt. Yeah. Of not knowing what it was going to be but kind of assuming the worst. Yeah. Like this could get bad really quickly. Yeah. Cause then we really Googled Parkinson's, right? Nancy. And then then you don't, (laughs) that's what my neurologist said is, you know, you've got Parkinson's do not go home and Google it. So I went, (laughs) (laughs) so of course that's what she did. And it is pretty scary. It's always amazing to me that we all have these different versions of Parkinson's disease. But when I listen to somebody tell their diagnosis story, there's always a nugget or two that really mirrors my own journey. And so like, you know, whether it's, you know, I resist the urge to go to a doctor or whatever, like Kat did, you know, it's like, you, you, you like, there's something that hooks you in that makes you sort of part of that community that way. Well, and that's the power of telling stories is that you often can recognize yourself in someone else's story, at least to some degree. And it builds connection. Yeah, and I, and I love their chemistry, by the way. Uh, Nancy and Kat, uh, you know, they've been through those dark nights of the soul together, you can tell. And they've come out on the other side stronger and with enough perspective that they can appreciate the ridiculousness of the disease. Yeah, you can tell they're genuine and good friends, and they have a shorthand. They love to laugh with each other, and you can tell in the way that our conversation went. What are some of the Parkinson's challenges and symptoms they manage? Well, I asked them about this, as well as about some of the ways they face these challenges. And in their answers, they mentioned the wellness spiral, which is a fabulous tool and general structure for their book. We'll explain more about this later, but for now, let's listen to Kat and Nancy. I think part of what has helped me is to have a mindset in my head about being in the moment. And you know, we've learned a lot about mindfulness and how important it is, but to really learn how to do that is really powerful. And to know that not everything I'm feeling at every minute is Parkinson's progression. (laughs) It may be just life progression. It may be life digression, you know, subjection, life challenge, challenge. So 
So trying to say, okay, this moment is really rotten. And, you know, I can give you an example. Last night, I'm really struggling with um, foot and leg dystonia Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, really sudden onset, painful, (laughs) cramping. And um, I have a fair amount of it in my hands. And what I try to do in that moment is breathe through it, accept that it's happening and know that it's not going to last forever and know that not every night am I going to have this and um, know that lots of people get leg cramps. And having been a midwife, the other thing I always do is like, I don't get a baby at the end of this. I had horrible (laughs) leg cramps when I was pregnant. So, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. It depends on who you are. It would be very surprising. (laughs) It would certainly be surprising. (laughs) A baby. A baby. Um, But so mindfulness is really a tool. So I would say the thing I'm struggling the most with is, is that sleep interrupted sleep with dystonia and, um, And the tool that really helps me is mindfulness. I think also writing the book has helped Mm -hmm. me because we developed this wellness spiral. And so I'm able to picture something and it may not be a tool that works for everybody at all. But for me, it's really helped like, gosh, if I'm going to be writing about this and publishing about this and somebody thought it might be a good idea to share it with somebody, (laughs) maybe, maybe I can just picture myself in the moment and not stay in that rabbit hole and know that my brain's going to help me back out of it. And that tomorrow's a new day. And if I'm lucky enough to see the sunrise, I'll get back on that horse, you know? Well, and Nancy, maybe you can speak to something that really spoke to me from your book, which is related to this. I love how you talk about joy and the book mm-hmm. and how finding it is a neural process. We've had a lot of conversations early on. I was pretty resistant. Like that's kind of a, a too big of a word for me. And we had our friend, Karen, who's in the book also said that of, you got to be careful using that word. You know, it's going to scare people off or something. And I remember Kat saying, um, I think we deserve it. I think we deserve to have joy in our lives. And then once we looked and saw what joy was, it's not uh, unattainable. It's completely a reasonable thing. I also use the spiral, which is yeah. just like how I was saying, and the, the step I go to before joy is compassion, mm-hmm. because when I'm having a rough day, I can either get down on myself and let all of the fear come in and the despair and the bad stuff that will is waiting outside. Or I can say, you know, it's okay. This is that day. Tomorrow will be a different day. Mm-hmm. And then I remember small pieces of joy, like I could have cantaloupe for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they talk about joy because joy is so critical uh, to my own dealing with Parkinson's. I find joy in little and big things throughout each day and through the weeks, of, you know, from treating myself to a fancy coffee or going through the day without much pain or, or watching our son in a school performance or just looking in your eyes. Uh, I find it's really easy to resist joy when living with a chronic disease, but more rewarding to search for the joy through each day than searching for more reasons that Parkinson's is sucky. Kat Nancy's journey to writing the book began with a talk they gave at the World Parkinson's Congress in Kyoto, Japan in 2019. 
we were at this Congress and a woman came up to us in the hall and said, I missed your talk today. And I'm really, really bummed out that I didn't hear you talk, but I'm okay. Cause I'm just going to read your book. Right. And we looked, at, <laughs> we looked at each other and said, our oh, book, <laughs> we, we, we don't have a book. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of became our, almost our joke the rest of the, you know like well it's in the book right <laughs> <laughs> whatever was left out of the talk was in the book was in the for book. us right and we came home pretty quickly mm-hmm. I would guess within a week or so we had started outlining what we wanted to write about and, and part of that stemmed from we had really worked very hard for our presentation um, that we took to Kyoto we had test driven the talk I don't we know, had, 10 like, times yeah. here in house Portland, parties. house parties. We got mm-hmm. feedback about our slides about, you know, is this something people want to hear about? Um, and, and we wanted to keep working together and we liked the process of researching. We both, uh, we work well together. Right. Um, we liked hanging out after our boxing class on, on Wednesdays at, Gave us an excuse to buy good coffee at Elephant's <laughs> Deli, <laughs> full price. We were just talking about that we would like to go back and see the, the folks who play Pinochle every Wednesday. Are they still there? Because we made friends with people at the coffee shop. We were there so regularly. Yeah. Um, and our styles balance each other really well. People, a lot of people ask us how do two of you write a book? I mean, that seems to be the most Mm. common question. And uh, I will tell you, for me, I am such an extrovert and so social. It it was such a joy to sit and dialogue the process together. And I think Nancy and I have really, um, we have strengths that are really different. And yet we share a lot of commonality in our philosophy. The book is generally structured around what Nancy and Kat have created and named the wellness spiral. It's a framework for a wellness journey that contains different stages or phases from what they call down the rabbit hole to compassion to intentional wellness and a few other steps in between. It's a tool that people can put in their tool chest that may help them conceptually and visually to describe a process to navigate challenges in life. It can be a touch point or a checking in about where one is along a journey. As human beings, we all have tools that we know work and don't work for us along the way. So the spiral may be a way to check in about how one is using their tools, where they might want more tools or to spend more attention to get to wellness. And if if folks are not feeling an expanse or wellness in their life, it can be a tool to help navigate the journey. At the Congress, we saw the advocacy pyramid and both of us were impressed. Like that really makes sense. And then we kind of talked, then we we were saying, but it doesn't quite address what's happening to us. You know, where are the steps that, that would be this or this? And so it wasn't that that we didn't like the advocacy pyramid because that was great, but we were starting to think there's something here that we, we could add to that. 
Mm-hmm. Or, or build on build it. on it. Yeah. And, and I think the spiral came out a couple of ways. I, I love the idea of a pyramid, but I don't like that all the good stuff at the top is at the narrowest. <laughs> I want the good stuff to be expansive and unending. And, and then, you know, Nan, it's in classic cat Nancy style, Nancy researched what spirals meant. And, mm-hmm. and boy, that really resonated about um, how historically kind of the symbolism of the spiral right. really seemed to resonate with the idea of it. Um, and then we both would find ourselves using the term down the rabbit hole. And a lot of people use that term. And and that felt spiralish. Um so that's how it came about. And this actual spiral, I watercolor painted. <laughs> that's why it looks fuzzy on the book. We didn't want it to be perfect Rigid. and linear in a, a black line. We, we wanted, wanted it to be able to fall off of it and get right. back on and, right. and move around it so that one day you could be somewhere. But that doesn't mean you've accomplished everything on the other levels. Yeah. You're just moving around, living your life. Yeah. And that the expanse is at the top and that, Mm -hmm. and we also wanted it to be relatable, not just to Parkinson's, but sort of to life. Um, Because, you know, we have yet to meet a single human that doesn't have challenge somewhere. And um, I, right, wrong, or indifferent, our family has had words to describe resilience and chronic illness and how we define ourselves. And I think that helped for me set the stage for the wording of those um, because I had to teach a child how to find those things um, or make those choices. We didn't want it too perfect because it's not perfect. Life is messy. It's colorful. It's dark. It's light. It's all those things, sometimes almost all at the same time. Um, we didn't want people to feel judgment either, or that we have all the answers. We don't claim either of those things. We just want to share a tool that, that we developed and that it really worked for us during the pandemic. (laughs) I wanted something where if you, you felt like you needed some help, you could find yourself on this spiral and find a place to go. So if you were feeling like I'm depressed and I'm in the rabbit hole, I don't know what to do. There's a real easy first step, which is um, acknowledge that you're at a life event and then start thinking about self-compassion start thinking about mindfulness, making some motion to find your community. Um, And not too wordy things that you can do right off to help get you out of the rabbit hole. Yes. It was that that the idea of the of the spiral and the concepts of that is great as you're kind of imagining and using the tool and whatnot. But then you gave very specific and brief examples through your perspective, through some of your community's perspective of what that looks like and invited people to determine for themselves what that looks like. Yeah, that's what we hoped. And and certainly any number of those topics have vast amounts right. of literature and vast that was part of what was hard because we're both we like the research process and yeah. um but we felt like perhaps we could offer a unique perspective as people living with a chronic illness in a more succinct fashion rather right. than the experts say do this and also from a female perspective. 
You heard them mention the Advocacy Pyramid, which is a framework developed several years ago by the late Parkinson's advocate Tom Isaacs and AVID advocate and PD Avengers co-founder Dr. Sonia Mather. We'll include a link to information about it in this episode's liner notes. You know, honey, I really like the imagery of an upward spiral and the sort of the movement and the motion that comes with that. You know, you think about the water going down a drain or a tornado or spirograph where you're moving your pencil through or flowers and seashells and the stars. I mean, it's just sort of this, you know, ever-expanding universe. You know, it's it's really, I love that as opposed to sort of a static you know, structure. structure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this is open-ended. And one of the reasons they created it that way, that's the reason they developed it the way that they did, is that it's kind of open and free and there's movement and it reflects the journey because you're constantly kind of going up and down and then there's really no limit to where you could go at the top. So here, here's something for you because I know this will interest you. Uh, the spiral, the word spiral comes from the Latin spirare, meaning to breathe. Ooh. Yeah, and the Sanskrit word for the spiral is kundalini. Nice. Yes. That's very cool. So I like it even more now. At the end of her comments, Kat acknowledged that their book, because it's authored by two women, is written from the female perspective. As we've talked about before on the podcast, women with Parkinson's have a distinct experience with the disease and often can struggle to get care and information to meet their needs. There are still fewer women than men who have Parkinson's, but we don't know what the accurate statistics are because there is practically no literature or research to rely upon, and healthcare providers simply don't know. When I researched how many women have Parkinson's, all the internet was able to tell me was the age-old statistic, a statistic about men, mind you, not women, that men are one and a half times more likely to be diagnosed with Parkinson's. Yeah, there are some really committed and brilliant Parkinson's advocates working on these issues and addressing the needs of women with Parkinson's, not just in North America, but around the globe. Kat is one of the co-founders of the Women's Parkinson's Project, and she's working on this with some of her fellow PD Avengers. Kat and Nancy talked about their own experiences as women with Parkinson's and, and how this perspective comes through in their book and, and what they're doing as advocates. I am super involved right now with Dr. Sonia Mather and Christy LaMonica and Helen Matthews around trying to collect data and learn about women in Parkinson's. So we're in the process um, and it's a subset of the PD Avengers. It's the work group for the PD Avengers. We are writing surveys that will be put out on the Michael J. Fox Foundation because we just don't know. There is no data about women in Parkinson's specifically. Not absolutely zero, but very close to zero amounts of data. So I think that we're learning a lot more I think that part of what our book does is talk about from a working mother's perspective, what it's like to incur this disease and um, what it's like to have teenage kids at home to, you know, give up our style, you know, to, to leave work how we find mm-hmm. identity. We're supposed to want to be the ones traditionally caretaking, especially as a nurse. I, I felt that so hugely. And as a nurse practitioner, I'm the one that's supposed to take care of everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, we have a, an exercise class on Saturday mornings. It's women only. 
a boxing class, but afterwards the group often goes out for coffee and they do it just because we need support so badly, not just social support, but almost always somebody will say, I'm having these symptoms. Um, my relationship is having these issues and, and I don't know where to turn. And we have just this really tight group of women, like we're going to try to figure this out, but it's new to us. I think it, it's, um, it's very specific to women a lot of the issues you can see the men in the exercise class, not the same class at the same gym and they're on a different track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, we know the experience of being male or female has its uniqueness, right? And then you add to that a chronic illness. And then you add to that, that our providers don't know what to tell us because there's not a lot of evidence. I mean, we know just for example, women, typically way less than men, yet we're dosing women with medicines at the same, at the same level, at the same right. level that we dose men. And, and it's not a surprise then that women experience more dyskinesias. Um, women, women and men both complain a lot about the non-motor symptoms, but those seem to be greater for women. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll learn more, Rebecca, but I think it really does speak to, um, you know, year of the woman, we need information, we need data. Mm -hmm. And, and if we can help advocate for people participating in um, groups, taking the surveys when they come out, mm -hmm. and, you know, participating in research and yeah, right. participating making in sure that there's a female represent representation yeah, in the research. Both, absolutely. Nancy and Kat are both natural writers and express themselves so well with words. Language matters to them. We turned our conversation to something I've thought about a lot over the years through my own cancer experience and especially after your Parkinson's diagnosis. The popularity of using fight and battle language around disease. They address this a bit in their book, so I asked them about it. We both really feel that words are really important. And I think the words that we say and the words that we write and the words that we share our process with are important. And when we're using words like fight or she lost her battle with cancer. Her courageous or battle. Her, she courageous. lost her courageous <laughs> battle. And it is courageous. It is, you know, right. for those fighting right. cancer, you know, I lost my mom to cancer. Um, yeah. But but the, the, the idea that it's a battle implies that there's a winner and a loser. To, to have a chronic illness and to be, to be working with that every day and trying to stay positive. And if you're also in fight mode, I will also add that you're also in this cortisol raised mode. And is that a healthy way for us to be attack, attacking mm -hmm pardon the air quotes with my dystonic hands. They look a little. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Those are air exclamation points. Just I, I right. it. <laughs> um, attacking the disease that, that also then to lose it. Nobody, nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to have a chronic right. illness and, and to, to equate that to a loss doesn't feel very human, humanistic, humanitarian. What's the word, Nance? Is that it? Kind. Human. Human. There. See, human. Nancy always has a better word for me. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but 
how we talk to ourselves is probably the most important language. I mean, people will want to help define it for you. They may want to call you a fighter and they may mean that in the best way. Like she's not laying down for this. Right. right? Even though, yeah. And, and well, I can respect that because it's language around chronic illness and death and dying and aging is hard. But, but if we can tell ourselves that we don't have to be in fight mode, we can be in grace. Those are the words I try. I love it. <sighs> Hard is grace. If I picked a second word after joy, it would be grace because it's compassionate. It's kind and it's accepting of, you know, even if I don't go to my workout today, I can still be um, working on myself sure. and my wellness and wellness feels like a more neutral term. Um, and I, I use the word symptoms, you know, I'm having a symptomatic day. Right. And I can describe those. It's not a bad day because I have more symptoms. Sometimes it is. Right. Sometimes I don't have a great day because the symptoms are more intense, but plenty of days I have symptoms and it's an okay day. It's a good day. Words do matter. Uh, you know, and I, I have a little thing in my office that says, choose happy. Uh, and and it, it, it really is a decision of how you react to things in life. And they talk about reframing the disease in your life. Uh, and, and that really puts a different energy on things. Uh, and, and you're not, you're not uh, um, closed in or trapped by those old tropes. And the language you say to yourself, as Kat said, is most important. So choosing for yourself what language, what framework, what... Um, tropes <laughs> or lack of tropes or labels or lack of labels actually reflects your own experience and how you want to move through it. In their book, Kat and Nancy talk about the role journaling and creative expression have played in their wellness journey. They also cite lots of research supporting these tools as beneficial to health and wellness. I've kept a journal for so long and that has helped me in so many ways because I can talk my way through where I start and then analyzing what's happening. I didn't until <laughs> Parkinson's. Um, and and I, until I started, journals always intimidated me. My mom was a great You're writer awesome. and she taught English. She, in her second act, was a poet, a published poet. And so I never felt like a writer. I felt like I had to write in complete sentences and but then I discovered a, a combination like a, an art journal, and that really resounded yes. for me. I didn't have to do full sentences. And then I could write down gratitude. Mm-hmm. And that, that process really pulled me out of my just diagnosed rabbit hole. Three things a day. All I had to come out was three things a day that I was grateful for. And you could bring art into it. So you. Yes. Yeah, so I could scribble or. Because I don't use any art in my journal. I just, I'm just going for words. Yeah. But, so cats are much more visual and mine are dense. Yeah. And, and my mom kept a journal. I think my mom journaled more like Nancy really kind of processed her thoughts mm-hmm. and reflected. And I think what was powerful in bringing that into the book was that we each had a different practice that really had been serving us in this journey of having Parkinson's. And, and then we said, gosh, there's gotta be, then sure enough, there's a ton written about it and, and supporting that and thought, gosh, 
maybe this could be helpful to other people knowing that you don't have to have complete sentences. Right. <laughs> so we included a couple pages from Kat. Yeah. And it, it's so perfect. I, we just got the right pages and maybe, maybe many of her pages would have been perfect, but they, she was writing about joy and she was writing about just enjoying the flowers and yeah. that Ken had brought. Yeah. It's uh, for me, it clears my mind to, to actively sit down. It stops some of the talk in my brain. If I'm making a list or I'm drawing a spiral, perhaps those, the, the brain cells that help the complete sentences are the ones I'm missing. Nancy, that might be it. <laughs> I almost feel like I'm journaling to a, a smarter person than I am. You know, there's, a, there's a wise person mm-hmm. responding in my writing that I can't access in other ways. I don't have that voice saying what you need to do is this, but if I journal through it mm-hmm. pages into it, I start hearing that voice that tells me you've been here before, or here's mm-hmm. where you might want to look. So mm-hmm. there's, there's something that you can access through paper. And for me, it, it felt too precious to buy a perfectly brand new <laughs> fancy book. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I still don't on my journals. I often don't do the first page of a sketchbook because I'm like, oh, that'll be for when I'm better. Right. <laughs> I have a better idea. A perfect page. <laughs> so I just leave it blank now, you know, and I've got like, I don't know. 25 or so journals, you know, so making it too precious feels like pressure. I think the uh, BC brain wellness program that you are involved in as an instructor and and that people who of all brain illnesses have discovered, uh, you know, it really has this down. It's it's about the music, the creative expression, the movement, or, you know, you can use all sorts of, uh, of modalities to really deal with, you know, brain trauma or brain injury or a brain disease or, or just an aging brain. And, and I think that what they're doing here is this one way, journaling. We've done journaling. I've done improv or theater. Podcasting is another example, you know, or, you know, gardening or painting. Like anything goes. But like if you do it with the intention of reprogramming your brain. And having an outlet, for the extra energy or a way to calm your mind when you get into kind of the cyclical thoughts or, you know, it's the need for the tool is probably different for every person. And so therefore there are a myriad, there are dozens of options available to you for how you express yourself and how you access your creative, the creative part of yourself and use that. We capped off our conversation talking about two important practices Nancy and Kat discuss in their book. In the book, you both talk about the role both showing up and curating hope play in your wellness. How do you curate hope and keep showing up as you continue your Parkinson's journey? Yeah, there's so many days when it feels hard to get going, but we've we've agreed that we have a commitment. We stick to it. So if I'm going to meet Kat for a cup of coffee, we meet. We mm-hmm. do that. And if I'm going to do an exercise class, I go and do an exercise class mm-hmm. because showing up turns out to be more important than actually the doing, the mm-hmm. getting there. And for people to see that you've come helps them. And it, it's a cycle. Mm-hmm. Of everybody has to show up. We, we used to do the 6.30 a.m. Uh, uh, interval training class together before the pandemic, before the <laughs> pandemic, but, but we were really 
four, four days a week, we mm-hmm. would show up and um, I would tell myself some mornings, I only have to go for the first half hour. It was an hour class. I just have to get out of bed. Right. (laughs) And I never left early, but, but I had to psych myself up for it. Um, some days and, um, and, and I think that's part of the, the, the hope part too, is that when you do that enough days, you start to feel hopeful that you can do it the next day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the more days you do it, the more days there are to curate and say, gosh, remember that moment when our, our pal Jeff did how many right. push-ups, whatever. And then I got really motivated and there was a day that right. I did yeah. 80 push-ups, did you know, 400. I did not do 400. <laughs> Okay. But in that three Close. minutes, but, you know, we cheer each other on and, and you, the, those are the moments you curate. Right. And um, I was remembering when we had Eve came into the gym and she said she'd had, she'd been struggling and she said, but I knew it was going to be okay. Cause I heard you guys talking and I heard you laughing and I couldn't believe you were laughing about what you laugh about. Cause mm-hmm. what we were, we were talking about is, decorating a wheelchair if we if we were if in we a wheelchair how we would decorate it yeah and we were laughing and yeah I I didn't even know Eve was listening but she said I knew it was going to be okay because if you guys can laugh about it mm-hmm. you know there's I can that was showing up and showing up with hope because right we don't know how we'll feel if we have to be in a wheelchair right and none of us know, right? Parkinson's or no Parkinson's, a wheelchair may be in, in many of our futures. But but what I can agree to and um, is that I, if I get to that point that I will do my very best to keep my head in the game and um, and try to hope that I have laid down enough pathways to keep me up in that wellness bit. She's going to have flamingos all over it. I will. I will. <laughs> flamingos. And there and will be dots. big uh, rap music, much to my husband's <laughs> chagrin. Yes. You know, I'll have a, a music entry <laughs> buttons that I can push easily to change my, right. you know, my entry song. So, and I'm going to be carrying binoculars and seeing birds that don't even exist. Right. Cause, <laughs> Cause that's, that's going to be my, my idea of paradise. What we found is that when we started this, you know, the gratitude practice that we talk about in the book, you know, picks three simple things that that really, we really were starting to train ourselves to go to compassion, to go to mindfulness, to go to journaling, to go to um, gratitude instead of the the very familiar rabbit hole. Right. Right. So, so by practice literally practicing those things mm-hmm. the more times we are faced with adversity or the opportunity to make choices about where we put our brains the easier it became to get to joy to get to compassion um not to say every moment we are joyful right because yeah we're not but um it, 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 and then looking into the evidence, it's so compelling. It's, this is, you know, this is not a new idea. Um, this, you know, Buddhists live in, you know, life is suffering, right? That's the whole premise of Buddhism. And, and so this is not new. This is not, you know, maybe newer to us or newer in the context of chronic illness, but 
we're just trying to share a few tips that work for us. Right. And if we can help anybody um, just maximize the joy and, and get to joy quicker in their brains, then gosh, that would be just a gift for us to feel like maybe we contributed to somebody else's Maybe happiness, just, their joy, their just one person, even That's, just one person that was kind of our motto, just one yeah. person. I love how Nancy and Kat discuss showing up, finding gratitude, using it to get to joy and hope. All of these processes contribute to wellness. They're not just mindsets or feelings that magically appear. They need to be nurtured and cultivated. And finding what works for you to do that is key. As the book acknowledges, everyone's Parkinson's journey is different. So, of course, everyone's wellness journey is a different kind of roller coaster, too. It requires different tools and practices and support systems. I have my toolbox and my community, and you have yours. It's just a matter of taking the time and valuing the process of discerning what works for you and then nurturing that for yourself. Well, like, I love how they're trying to trick them, their brains by saying, um, well, if I go to exercise class, I only have to say for half of it. Right. And, and then Kat's <laughs> like, well, I never li- really stopped halfway through it. Once I got going, I was there. Right. Uh, and, and I see that, too. Where just showing up is success, by the way. Like, there's people that just don't feel like doing improv one day, and they, but they'll be there. They just won't participate. And just being there gives the, gives you the energy and, 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 and the hope. Like, if you can anticipate tomorrow, that drives hope forward. Thank you to Cat Hill and Nancy Pete for showing up for the Parkinson's and chronic illness community and offering us your beautiful book. And thank you for spending some time with me to talk about it and share your story. I highly recommend their book to anyone, whether you have a chronic illness in your life or not. It's wise and compassionate and accessible. You're sure to find some juicy nuggets to help you navigate your own wellness journey, and you likely also will find the warm recognition of a shared experience. And you know, the holidays are right around the corner. This would be a great gift for anyone you know living with a chronic illness. Uh, It's accessible, it's achievable, and Kat and Nancy give away tools and tips and tricks and parky hacks like it's candy on Halloween. It's great. (laughs) Uh, This book was a reminder to me uh, that everything I have at my fingertips, I don't always think about. Like, it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that thing. That's cool. I should do that more. So, uh, you know, and, and I often, you know, end up in a rabbit hole. And the, they, they give some really concrete examples of how to just pull yourself out of that. And so for me, it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Why don't I ever think of that? Because once you're in the rabbit hole, hard to really get yourself out. You need the tools before you get in there. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> yeah. I'm also going to, in my practice, refer to this great spiral uh, and, and where I'm at on the continuum of wellness. And I'm going to use it a lot because it really resonated with me. I didn't see their presentation in Kyoto, so I am glad I really can buy their book. <laughs> they actually did write a book. We're grateful to you for doing that. We're, uh, we're going to put pertinent links into the episode's liner notes, but you can get Being Well with Chronic Illness, a guide to joy and resilience with your diagnosis wherever you buy your books. Thanks to uh, Nancy and Kat for the shout out to PD Avengers and our podcast in the resource section. 
And you likewise can find Cat's Podcast PD Lemonade on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is a Curious Cast podcast production. Our story producer is Dila Velasquez, sound designed by Greg Schott. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada, where people with Parkinson's are at the center of everything they do. Parkinson Canada funds critical research, provides information and support, increases awareness, and advocates for improved healthcare outcomes for people with Parkinson's across Canada. Learn more at parkinson.ca. Thanks also to our promotional partners, the World Parkinson Congress 2023 in Barcelona, Spain. Registration now open. Hotel information on the website. Grant applications will open October 22nd. If you are a person with PD or a partner, you will register as an advocate. Go to WPC2023.org for details. The Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, hosted by Larry Gifford. Available on Apple Podcasts and at MichaelJFox.org. PD Avengers, a global alliance of people with Parkinson's, our partners and friends united to the cause of ending Parkinson's disease. Join us now at PDAvengers.com. Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. SpotlightYOPD.org. And as always, please like us, give us five stars on Apple. Subscribe. Subscribe and share this podcast with someone because that is the best way, the most effective way to grow our audience and raise awareness of Parkinson's disease. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time.